0: And like for the juniors, it will be a fantastic experience. And like, you should not underestimate the difficulty and I think it's uh, kind of good to have a lot of camps.
1: Welcome to the second episode of the podcast Oriented for Life, powered by Aguiar Vera in Portugal and brought to you by oportugal.pt. For this second episode, we will interview Thierry Georgiou, 14 times world champion and now coach of the Swedish national team. Born in France, with roots coming from Greece, the Frenchman is living in Sweden for some years. And after his very successful athlete career, is now taking on the big challenge of coaching one of the strongest national teams in the Orienteering world. Hello Thierry, Uh, it's always a pleasure to interview you. Uh, Last time we spoke, you were uh, finishing a training camp in Portugal, preparing your last season as a professional athlete. At the time your focus was the middle distance at the world championships and you left Estonia with a gold medal. Now, more than 1 year after that gold medal, was it the perfect end for the perfect career or do you do you sometimes miss uh, that uh, way of life?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very hard question. Of course it's uh, the end I had uh, dreamed off like i mean i always wanted to stop on top so this it was uh, such a nice day and um, i'm really pleased with that but uh for sure i uh, miss my uh, former life uh, almost every day like uh, no i have start coaching i have a small little boy at home but uh Yeah, for sure. Like nothing is uh, as good as uh, and as intense as uh, having an elite career. And uh, like when I'm at start with my runners at World Championships, of course. Like uh, I would like to to put my shoes and run. Like uh, it's quite frustrating. And uh, but it's a different life. And uh, it has just been one year. But uh, for sure, at the moment, like. I I think I will have uh, continue uh, one more year or two more years if um, I would have known uh, it will be like this. But it's the way it is, and uh, I, uh, I I have a happy life at home with uh, active kids. So it's uh, but for sure it's very different.
1: And uh, but lo- like you said, uh, one of the things that made this uh, transition easier was uh, your job as a coach with the Swedish national team. What exactly is your role role, uh, within the structure of uh, coaches in the team?
0: So I'm the um, assistant of uh, Håkan Carlsson and uh... Uh, Suzanne uh, Backlun. So it's like, uh, and I'm in charge of the technical part. So it means uh, my main responsibility is to make sure, like, uh, we have a uh, very good quality, and uh, I'm uh, helping the owners with uh, to develop their technique if they they need it or they want to discuss uh, things.
1: And uh, this means that there's a, an immense amount of hours. Preparating uh, courses for training camps, analyzes and uh, so on. Did you adapt to this fast?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, uh, basically this, it was an uh, easy part of the job because I have always uh, prepared my own camps and things like this. I mean, when I was a uh, elite orientals, I was like about 200 days uh, per year in camp. And also when I was at home, I was preparing my own courses and training. So this... It was very easy to, it didn't make a big change. So I had a good control about the, the work. But of course, like the biggest change is like uh, I did this for myself, which was the person I knew most and now I'm doing it for the others. So of course you can get uh, the best ideas in the world. But if you are not able to express them and communicate them or bring them to the owners, it doesn't work so well, so this takes a lot of time. And uh, as a coach, you always need to adapt uh, to the owners.
1: Yeah, and that you just ante- anticipated exactly my next question because what I was about to say that you were really known for uh, preparing uh, really wonderful courses, but you were doing it for you, and you need that training, so you knew exactly what you wanted to focus on. So what is, how can you, now that you are in charge for a full national team with a lot of uh, special athletes, each one of them have special needs in terms of uh, orienteering skills, how can you try to meet what they are exactly needing?
0: So, of course, it's uh, on different level when we, we are far away from the big goals of the season, like in winter camps or things like this. We we don't prepare very specifically, but still I try to set programs where the runners have a different choice and they are free to, to choose what's best for them. Of course, when the team is picked, for example, for world championships, uh, we try to be very specific and, uh, and uh, for example, just focus on sprint in some camps. Or, and then the third level is like, of course, I prepare a lot of training just for one person or a couple of persons. So then we'll uh, work specifically on the weaknesses or what we really want to work and, of course, this it's uh, most effective when you you can. Uh, of course, I'm lacking time, but uh, when you can really like pinpoint uh, what's important for runners and uh, prepare a specific training for him or air, it's uh, fantastic. Yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, what about training analysis? we could saw during this year a lot of uh, videos from you following uh, the athletes on the forests and uh, i assume they were also using uh, live gps tracking uh, do you use this data more for uh, individual uh, uh, interviews or focus more on individual or do you try to do some more group analysis analyzing what you collected uh,
0: we- we do both, like, uh, for example, in Alicant, we had a project where we were filming uh, all the runners in uh, just a specific part of the courses. So, and then we had a meeting where where we everyone was watching the differences. So, of course, it was interesting, but uh, I really believe more in, like, uh, individual analysis. Because as you said, the needs are different and the experience of the runners are different. So it's uh, usually I follow a runner with a camera and uh, it helps a lot because like you you can say things, especially to know we are not talking about like uh, beginners who are really like uh, some of the world best and uh, for them, it's uh, so more powerful to see themselves in forest with the videos and uh, to tell something so when they are like uh, i try to be as effective as possible so we we look both at the gps and the videos and like when i see things i uh, i show them on video and then they they keep them and uh, and before walk with those who had who where we have done uh, the biggest work of course we we collect, like, the best video of the year and try to... I don't know if it makes a difference, but it's kind of good if you manage to remember what has been good, what has been bad, and, like, uh, try to prepare for the the most important race with the right uh, mindset. For me, yeah. that's always been the most important, like, to enter the game, knowing what you want to do and knowing what you don't want to do. Yeah, also. So-
1: yeah that's quite important but with all of this there's no time for you to rest during a training camp from the team I, uh, training camps are crazy like uh,
0: because like uh, i put controls i collect controls i run uh, behind runners at least uh, one or two during uh, training at least so it's uh, my biggest training weeks uh, in the year are in uh, training camp, for sure. Like uh, it's like six hours per day at least, or even more. So it's you uh, so, need to be to be fit to do this job.
1: Yeah, so like <laughs> you are still in a really good uh, fitness position, I may assume. Yeah,
0: but uh, thanks to the runners because my. Uh, at home, my only trainings are when I'm pushing the stroller with uh, Leon inside. But uh, of course, I'm traveling uh, to visit the runners, and uh, so I'm training a lot with them. Uh,
1: yeah. And uh, last week, the Swedish uh, Federation just announced that next year Emil Winsted Peter over Ole Bostrom, and Emma Johansson they will be available to help during uh, the the training camps. Uh, for sure, it's a nice uh, group of experienced athlete to have around you.
0: Yeah, it's really important because, like, um, of course, to have an elite background uh, doesn't make you a good coach, but at least you you know what uh, the runners are experiencing, and uh, it's very valuable uh, just, like, to be able to follow the runners in forest. I mean, like, at the moment, like... Uh, I was basically the only one uh, shooting uh, videos. So of course, like when you follow one runner, it's just one during the training. So it's uh, we are trying to have like a little bit more people to be able to just. The first step is like if we are able to follow them with a with a camera, it's uh, already good. But of course, all those runners you have mentioned have a lot of experience. So I hope. they will bring a big plus to, to the Ronalds, yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, you did all your international career uh, for France. Yeah. Now you are in the structure for uh, Sweden. Can you compare uh, a little bit? Because we can see that there's a really professional, big professional team behind the Swedish national team. Uh, Team. And can uh-huh. you compare a little bit from what you had in uh, France? Yeah, it's,
0: uh, it's very interesting, actually, because like um, it's very, very different. And I think you you have the perspective from Portugal. So, yeah, it's like Sweden has uh, more than 80,000 uh, orientals. So it's uh, by far the biggest number in, uh, in the world. So they have a lot of clubs lot of youngsters and uh, this makes a big difference because whatever they do in the federation they will always have talents
1: Mm
0: -hmm. there will be always uh, tove alexanderson showing up every 20 years and um, so basically the federation if they do nothing they will still have a result because Mm -hmm. they have strong clubs and things like this but in France, if the federation is not like working very well with these training centers, and because basically we have no clubs and uh, we are just uh, 2,000, mm-hmm. it's impossible to get results. So it's very different. Like um, uh, for example, like the uh, the French team, we we had a lot smaller budget for mm-hmm. example, but still we we were, uh, in terms of quality of camps and the program of the national team, I think we were doing a better job than the Swedish team, for example, so it's like uh, the Swedish team, I think, don't contribute so much to the result of the honours compared to the French team, so that's the biggest difference.
1: Oh, and that's a really interesting point of view, and do you think that, for example there is uh, since there's less pressure for a runner like yourself that is starting in the french team than a runner from sweden that is starting on the swedish national team in terms of uh, the pressure to get the results when they go into the team it's uh, for sure it's uh...
0: It's a big issue because like uh, it's probably easier to make it to the French teams than the Swedish team because there are less uh, competitive people. But of course, like uh, competition worlds uh, should make you better. So they have like very good competition here in Sweden and things like this. So the club are very well structured. So if you ask me. If I was uh, an orienter where I would like to, in which situation I would like to be, of course I would like to be in Sweden because they have a bigger budget, uh, they have uh, bigger possibilities. But uh, at the end, it's always the owners who make the difference. And uh, it's not because you have the biggest budget, then uh, you, you really need something extra. I mean, Mm -hmm. like you train a lot, a lot uh, alone in orienting and uh, so it's, um, it's still uh, possible to make it to the sides, the the Scandinavia to the top. We have the example, of course, I think the best organized team at the moment is the Swiss team and uh, you can see like they are really doing great on every level uh,
1: and uh, they have big success, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, interesting to see and it's interesting to hear from your part. Uh, it's a different uh, perspective than I was a little yeah. bit hoping. But going a little bit back uh, to to the training camps uh, from yeah. the, the Swedish team, how, can you describe what is a standard camp uh, for the Swedish national team? For example, how many full speed trainings you have during uh, one week?
0: Well, I think it's, uh, it depends a lot of the period of uh, the year. Like, Of course, we, we try at the moment to have like two winter camps in January and March, quite long, because I think it's uh, very important to escape the winter. And I think as a national team, we can uh, provide uh, better qualities than the clubs so it's my philosophy like we really try to get uh, very good uh, quality so on those camps the uh, idea is really to train a lot so i try to fix uh, three trainings per day so two at day and one at night mm-hmm. of course we try to live quite close from the map so this basically they just uh, train and rest so it's like uh it depends like we we try to have quality trainings like those uh pre-opass so it means like it's trainings where all the team is uh, taking part and if possible at uh, competition speed so we we don't make those training too long so we can have uh, quite many during a camp so it's like uh, every second day or something like this basically but mm-hmm. uh, the goal is to get like many hours and also, we do a lot of uh, pure technical training, so it means like contours, corridors, night orienting. So even if the speed is low, the um, quality of the training is uh, is high. So they get a little bit less stress if we get like uh, half a meter of snow when they get home. And then they are from April, are, It's uh, only walk-specific uh, uh, camps. So it Mm -hmm. means like uh, we go on very relevant uh, trainings. And during those periods, we really focus on, uh, we don't use anymore so much like corridors, contours, because we really want to stick to the reality. So it's like uh, as relevant possible, uh, both in terms of uh, uh, effort and uh, terrain. So this we. We try to help them as, mo- as much as possible, and especially next year, it will be it's super close from uh, Sweden. So we, we will try to to make it as good as possible. So the terrains in Norway are pretty tough physically. So mm-hmm. basically, when we will be in camp, it will be to run fast. And then they go home, they rest, and they come back when they are
1: fresh again, and uh, yeah. Yeah, so, from this passion talk that you are just telling, I'm uh, pretty sure that it was an easy decision for you to renew your contract with the Swedish national team.
0: No, it was not actually. <laughs> it was uh, because, um, as you know, it's uh, yeah. I invest a lot of time when I do something. So, of course, it's... Uh, it's a balance to find because uh, I really want to to do it super good, so it, it takes me a lot of time. And um, also, like uh, I'm not the one taking uh, all the decision and things like this, so sometimes it's a bit frustrating when I can see we don't use uh, our resources the best way we could. So it's. Uh, no, I'm just going in one year contract. So I want to keep the freedom to to mm. be able to do something else if I feel it like this. But like what's for sure is like when I sign my contract, I go in uh, 100%. So the 2019, it's just a uh, Swedish team who matters.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but uh, for next year, you will not be able to count with... Uh... Elena Beryman and uh, Jonas lee Did you expect their decision? Uh,
0: it was, uh, for both cases, it was a bit different. But uh, what's for sure is, like, we lose two big leaders because, like, uh, both were individual world champions and we don't have that many in our team. So they were uh, very special, of course, for... Elena, it's a uh, different reason. Like she, she—they are expecting a kid, and uh, I don't think there is uh, better things in uh, in life. So it's uh, fantastic sure. what's happening, and uh, I hope uh, they will really enjoy uh, their year. For Jonas, it was uh, for sure it was a question mark the whole year. So. It's uh, because he's still uh, pretty young, he's uh, 29. So when he was telling me, oh, but you know, like I have done this for so many years and I was asking him (laughs) when he was starting, uh, when was his first uh, world championship? It was 2012. I felt like, oh my God, he still have uh, at least 10 good years. And uh, so, but it's the way he he feels it and... um, and uh, we should just respect it but what's for sure is like uh, this guy we have no one like him in the team it's the one uh, the only one who is uh, respected both by his result and uh, uh, as a person so it's uh, we lose someone which is uh, really hard to replace and uh, we will miss him for sure but he's
1: young and he can always come back yeah but uh, in the case of uh, Leanderson, his best results were achieved in the sprint, uh, yeah. both in the individual races and also in the sprint relay. Uh, do you think that uh, the split walk that will come in 2019 had something to do with his decision? Because next year yeah. there's no gold medal in the sprint to fight for. For well, sure.
0: For sure, it's uh, and we will see it in the coming years as well. Uh, I suppose after Norway, it's a lot of runners who will uh, probably. Uh, think two years is too long to to wait uh, World Championships uh, race in for us. So this it's not completely a surprise. But if we if we talk about Jonas, he, I, I was 100% sure he could uh, achieve uh, something very good also in Forest. So it's, uh, of course, he has his best uh, achievement in sprint, but uh, he's an uh, all-rounder uh, uh, orienteur. And uh, I think like his best years were coming. I mean, me, my, the first time I have been world champion in uh, long distance, i was uh, thirty two years old, mm. so it's not like uh sometimes in forest it can take a little bit more time so it's um but this we will uh, not know but for sure like uh next year it's all about forest, but still in the World Cup you have like a few races and uh in twenty twenty it will be a lot about sprints so yeah. it's uh yeah it's not a complete surprise like uh some people might stop because they feel like two years is too long yeah
1: and what about you what do you think personally do you think that uh, we are going on the right direction with the split walk uh, the chasing starts and uh, what what's what do you think about all of this uh,
0: me I think like uh, splitting walk if you want my opinion I think it's a mistake because like uh, I have uh, always seen orienting as a wall and uh, of course uh, I don't I don't enjoy it so much like we have uh, just a walk with uh, one specific distance so I don't think we get uh, more visible or so I don't really know why um, of course I know why but uh, we try to get more organizer to, to organize. But uh, I don't support the idea so much because, um, because of this. But uh, then when it comes to, it's crazy. The, if we look, uh, like just uh, 20 years ago, it was uh, very different. Yeah. Like just the, the maps and uh, so on, like the sprint maps, 20 years ago, it was a joke it was mm-hmm. like uh so it's like it's very hard to say like uh how orienting will be in, in 10 years or things like this we we have seen a uh, lot of new things but uh yeah i just don't know so i don't want to give my opinion to say like uh, i think my start can be can be uh, okay things and uh it's, uh,
1: but still, we need to work a little bit on the concept. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, but uh, for me, it's it's.
0: I'm not so stressed about like. Um, of course, we need to. I think the biggest discussion is to agree on what is orientering. And mm-hmm. what are our value and what, why our sport is so, spe- so special? Of course, I have my opinion and I think like, uh, the navigation part is, uh, the number one issue in uh, our sport and what makes us uh, so special and why, why, uh, really people love this sport. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's called uh, running. So I think this, it's our value. And then either we fight for it. And we decide, okay, orienting—it's the navigation part—is a big issue, or it's not that important. And uh, and then me, I'm totally fine with. uh, I mean, as a competitor, if uh, the competition was to run uh, on the moon, I would have done it because you are a competitor and things like this. So mm-hmm. I will never blame the runners like uh, when they are in a mass start and they have a strategy and yeah. things like this because like it's okay. As long as uh, that's why this, uh, I really enjoy actually um, the knockout sprint when it's a common course
1: mm-hmm. for everyone
0: because it's uh, the most fair. And like you can have a strategy people have a different strategy and if the course is good like you have possibility to escape and uh, so uh, but everyone knows the, the rules, rules of the game yeah. and they and follow then it's the a rules to prepare and adapt so for me i have
1: no problem with this yeah yeah and uh, it you concluded your first year as a swish swedish national team coach uh one year ago in March when we talk you were a little bit uh, stressed uh, about how the athletes would uh, welcome you yeah. how, how do you feel them after one year of working
0: <laughs> it's um, of course it has been uh, really really nice because like um, if I'm doing this and if I continue next year it's because of uh, because of the runners, they they have asked me to stay, and uh, I think we have done a lot of good things. We have a lot of good memories, so it's um, it's my uh, number one motivation. But uh, for sure, it's uh, I'm very different from uh, from them. Like I'm French, it's different culture. But uh, me, I really see it as a chance because. Uh, Um, I can do things, I can tell them things, like maybe a Swede won't tell them or, and then if it's bad for them, they will always think like, okay, but he's French. Like, he's a jerk. So, so, uh, I mean, like, I should really not lose this and like, when I see something, of course, uh, I'm thinking sometimes a bit different and things like this, but at least uh, it's different for them and uh, me i see it as a uh, chance but uh, of course uh, it's uh it's the most interesting part of the work like to, yeah, yeah. to have different persons in front of you and like to try to understand them and sometimes you don't see the world the same way and uh, it doesn't mean you are right it doesn't mean uh, they are right but uh it's uh, the biggest challenge uh, as a coach. Yeah?
1: yeah, and I know personally because I've also been a national team coach. That uh, sometimes you have, you are more effective to one runners than others, purely because your personality will uh, will work better with some runners than others, and. Uh, I know it's hard for you to give up a name of someone that were more close to you during this year so with some athletes, but I'm going to send out a name: Caroline Olsen. It was a really big, true year for her. I think she gave a step up on the right direction. And can you describe your relation with her?
0: Yeah, so of course, um, as you said, like. Um... My role in the national team is to make sure like uh, our camps um, are the top quality but also like I'm ready to help those who, who want help and as you know you have been a coach so it's uh, really hard to help uh, runners who don't want help. Yeah. It's impossible. So <laughs> for her it was completely different it's the first one who has uh, contact me and of course it's probably the runners who has uh, listened the most at me. So, mm-hmm. of course, for uh, for a coach, it's uh, really rewarding. And uh, and I think I have uh, just been lucky because uh, I came at the right time of her elite career. She had done a fantastic job and she was... Uh, doing uh, already very good uh, the the year before so it's like uh, we have invested a lot of time and uh, it was just working uh, so well because like uh, i think she didn't uh, physically she was already in a good enough level and just by uh, helping her a little bit more with the technique and focusing on the right things I think we, we have uh, managed to raise the standard uh, quite well. But uh, like when I was a runner myself, I was saying like the job of the coach was uh, very small because you were always alone and uh, had to mm-hmm. do the job. Uh, so 99% of the work, she did it uh, herself. So maybe I did the difference for 1%, but uh, what she has uh, achieved
1: uh, was uh, fantastic and I hope it's uh, just the beginning. Yeah, and then on the same team, you have uh, Tove Alexandersson. Uh, she's like a huge talent, incredibly talented yeah. athlete. How is it to work uh, with her?
0: Yeah, it's... Uh, I would say it's uh, exactly like uh, like me when Peter Torresen, the Norwegian, was coaching the French team. It's like um, Tove or me. We we will make it whatever uh, happens around the team. So it means like uh, uh, we will fix most of the work uh, ourselves. So it's not so much you can do. Um, For her, like uh, me, one of my main mission is to make sure, like, we we create the best environment for her. So it means, like, if we can't help her so much with uh, the preparation and things like this, at least we should make sure we have the best logistics. Like we have, like, the good travels, the good camps at the right times, the good Mm -hmm. trainings. We are using the good maps. So everything is set around as perfect as possible. And then, uh, of course, if we can help her uh, a little bit, like, uh, then it's a big plus, but uh, she will do the work mostly herself, because she's uh, such a talent physically, mentally, technically, that uh, she will find a way all the time. But it's also responsibilities to make sure she's in balance. And if we can help her, we don't miss uh, opportunity.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's an uh, interesting point of view because I was also comparing you a lot because I think uh, you are, in, by many people, considered the, the best male volunteer ever and then we have Simone on the women's side, yeah. but now we have Tove. So uh, she's uh, amongst uh, the greatest, that's for sure. And uh, it's yeah. good uh, good to hear this from you. And uh, recently, uh, and you were there, we saw Radek Novotny, the Czech national team coach, stepping down. He was 16 years ahead of uh, the national team. He was, uh, for me, uh, one of the reference coaches on the Orienteering World. And uh, he left after a very successful World Cup round and home ground. Do you see yourself 16 years ahead of a national team? And uh, do you want to leave a message for Hadek?
0: Yeah, of course. uh, Radek, I guess, uh, if we think about, like, if we look the whole picture, like, uh, I think it's a coach who has uh, been doing the best job In the world with the budget he has and uh, the environment he has. So it's, uh, of course, I have always been uh, looking at him and it has been uh, one of my uh, biggest inspiration when I was uh, training with the Czech or seeing the work he was doing. The quality was uh, always uh, excellent and uh, I have tried to get inspired by him. So, um, of course, we will miss him. But sixteen years, yeah, it's uh, pretty impressive. I don't know if I will uh, of course, like uh, it's uh, it's very hard to say how long I will do that, how long I need to to find it fun as well. so it's uh, just impossible, like uh, last year there was uh, days where I say, okay, I do this one more week and it's over, and uh, there were days where, of course, I will do this all my life. So it's it's just impossible to, what I really want, like uh, at the moment, and it's why I'm staying with the Swedish team, is like to build up on the first year. I have learned a lot, like it was very, it was the first time I was at work, at the start, without competing myself, Looking at the runners, so I learned a lot uh, during that week. Like uh, so, this is something. Of course, I want to to build up uh, on it, and uh, I think I still uh, can improve a lot. And uh, I'm looking forward to the year two with the Sweden.
1: Yeah, and again, <laughs> the the other big parts of your transition from a professional athlete to a normal guy with a job was uh your uh, little uh, leo yeah one year yeah he, he yeah, has yeah. been uh, changing your life how is it the family life
0: yeah it's uh of course it's also a big challenge like uh <laughs> it was uh, i would say it was a lot together so i don't know if it was good or bad because i think i really needed to keep myself busy so that was perfect but uh, of course it was a lot like especially I was a lot in camps and uh, but uh, luckily I had Annika at home and I think like even though she she's not paid by uh, the Swedish Federation I think it's her who who did the (laughs) biggest uh, work so she made me made it possible for me to go in a lot of camps and things like this so um, but, uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. Like when you have a shitty day at work, you go home, you see him always happy, always smiling. So him, he, he really give you energy. And, blessed. uh, this, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, he don't sleep that much. He's, <laughs> I guess he have uh, quite much energy, but, um, yeah, he, it's super nice, yeah, it's nothing uh, will beat uh, the smile of him.
1: Yeah, and it's easy to combine the training camps and being away from home with the, the family life. For me personally, it has always been the most difficult part of being a national team coach, is that you need to be away from home a lot of time during the year. How did you manage to work, work it out?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, of course, uh, once again, I should thank Annika a lot because she was, like, sending me tons of pictures and videos and things like this, so this, it was uh, helping a lot, but, like, also, like, I have been used to travel a lot during my elite career when I was professional, so um, it felt, like, uh, very natural as well, like, and also, like... um, my problem or <laughs> i don't know if we can call it a problem but i really want to be successful uh, in my job so like uh, i i know it takes time and um, so of course it's uh, never uh, a simple things with the family life but uh, uh, I really want to be good at uh, what I'm doing and uh,
1: I'm ready to invest uh, quite much time. Yeah. <laughs> but on the personal notes, note that Leo is beating you because he came to Portugal on meeting 2018 and you didn't. So 1-0 yeah. for uh, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you got to travel a lot during your athlete's career. You told just a few minutes ago, you spent more than 200 days on training camps. And many of those days were spent in Portugal, and uh, some of them were uh, in uh, da Beira. Uh, you went there several times, both for training camps and for competitions, and you were always tweeting uh, about it really happily. Uh, do you still recall the the feeling of navigating on uh, the da Beira maps?
0: yeah for sure like uh, you have said it like uh, i think it's the best terrain in uh, portugal so it's uh, it's uh, it's probably what i'm uh, missing most like uh, when uh, because when you are like you stop your elite career and uh, of course i'm still uh, training but it's completely different to to train for yourself with the idea to be the best in the world so it's like uh, this it was the best time, uh, the best memories. Of course, I was preparing for world championships, but those winter camps and things like this, where you were in uh, super good terrains, like it is in uh, Aguabera, it's like you. It was the most enjoyable, and I was always uh, in quite a good shape in winter time because I, I was having all those camps and things like this. So it was. I felt uh, as good physically in winters and in summers. So it was like uh, when you could like go to Portugal and have a very nice competition on a super good map. It was uh, most enjoyable uh, time of the year. So this, of course, I miss it a lot. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I think a lot uh, about it for sure. Right?
1: And uh, how did? If you had to describe the Giarda Bad Terrains to someone that haven't been there before, how would you how would you you tell them?
0: Yeah, it's um, it's uh, spectacular. Of course, you have like those uh, giant stones, and it's uh, very demanding uh, technically. So it's something, uh, but still the runability is good. So you it's like the speed is uh, changing a lot and uh, it's what i have always uh, enjoyed most it's like very runnable terrain because like i feel like um, it's nice the terrain goes fast and uh, still uh, very tricky orienting so it's uh, because like of course i have always been uh, good like in those terrains which were super green and uh, super shitty but uh, I I was the same as the others, like uh, I didn't enjoy this uh, so much, Mm -hmm. so it was a lot more fun when you you could uh, have like super good speed and like still uh, very demanding technically and it's exactly what you have in uh, in those terrains, so it was always uh, very cool, yeah.
1: And uh, you know that uh, the Junior World Orienteering Championship 2021 will be hosted in Garda Bayra, what advices would you give to the juniors that are aiming to take part on that competition?
0: Yeah, of course, it's uh, it has been a fantastic uh, news. Like I was so really happy about this because, like, uh, I know since uh, so long. Like I don't know, I have been uh, for yeah. In I think uh, the first time I was in Portugal for Portugal meeting might be like two thousand. Six or something. So um, it has always been top quality, and the only time we have competed uh, internationally was, of course, 2000, but it was a long time ago in uh, the World Cup. But uh, was for European champs in 2014. So of course, the quality was not as good as uh, we were used to in Portugal. And I'm really, so really happy. Like you get a new chance to show how good uh, orienting is in Portugal, and this I have absolutely no doubt about it. And like for the juniors, it will be a fantastic experience. And like, you should not underestimate the difficulty, and I think it's uh, kind of good to have a lot of camps and... uh, especially like it's a dream uh, uh, competition to prepare because you can go a lot in winter and things like this. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of uh, possibilities, a lot of good maps, but for sure it will be very interesting because like uh, it's not uh, typically uh, Scandinavian uh, terrain. It's a mix of uh, different type of terrain. So you need to really understand the greens yeah which that's a big uh, that, can, that uh, may question, be the yeah. biggest uh, difference
1: well,
0: yeah. yeah the scandinavian runners are not used to it because they they don't have those that uh thick greens it's something like the mediterranean uh, runners uh, are more used to mm-hmm. so for sure you need to learn the terrain you need to learn the road choices and things like this so it's uh but it's uh I'm super glad uh, they have a challenge like this because uh, I'm a little bit jealous actually because uh, it would have been fun <laughs>
1: to have a competition like this to run as a junior. <laughs> but uh, in 98, you ran the Junior World Championship in France, in home grounds. Yeah. I was there as a young athlete. Okay. I was really young and uh, huh. of course, uh, we didn't travel a lot. We didn't have so much money and it was my first international uh, events. So for me, it was really strange because, of course, we were counting for the Nordic uh, guys to stay in the podium. And I remember in the long distance, there was a really tall Frenchman that came second. Uh How was it? How is it to run uh, jaywalking on ground so that the Portuguese young guys stay motivated?
0: Yeah, of course, it's it's very special. I mean, uh, for me, like... uh it has been the best competition was to compete in France because uh, you can really prepare super well. You have a, a big advantage. Uh, like, you have no idea, but it's... Uh, it's basically, it's how you um, approach the game mentally. Like, if we look on the paper, competing in your home country, it's such an advantage. It's crazy because, like, uh, you can go a lot in camps, you know everything, the food, you, you, the language. So the surprises and the stress usually it comes from surprises. Mm-hmm. So if, when you compete in your own country, it's like very small, the surprises you, you can get. So, but it's all about the, once again, the mindset. It's how you see the competition itself. And it was the same in World Championships in 2011 uh, when it was in France and I was a big favorite. Of course, you can see it as a uh, stressful things or you keep it simple and you say, okay, it's a fantastic advantage and like, I will prepare as well as I can. And what happens happens and you try to keep this uh, relaxed attitude and like, uh, of course you need to, to have visualize uh, very well the competition because you will have a lot of friends, a lot of, uh, but everything in a relaxed way. Like mm-hmm. everything is a bonus and uh, still you remember it's a big advantage to compete at home. And like uh, it's, it's kind of fun because uh, the atmosphere will be excellent. So the, the enjoyment part will be extreme. So for me, as uh, I have always seen it as a fantastic chance. Like, uh, okay, it will be it will be big, but uh, I will be super well prepared. So just uh, enjoy the the show. Yeah. And
1: yeah. Uh, what advice do you give us uh, to us our the organizing team? What advice? What do you think that we as an organizer should do? to have the best event possible.
0: Yeah, this, uh, for me, it's um, I don't think I should give you advice. It's uh, because like every time you have organized something in Portugal, it has been uh, super really good. So it's like uh, me, I'm uh, I'm feeling super relaxed. You should just keep doing what you have done uh, all the time. No compromise with the courses and uh, things like this. Like I think uh, competition is a success when it's a really really good one really tough one and so you should not be stressed about this like uh, make a good courses challenging for the runners and it's the most important then the atmosphere will be good and um, so it's uh, the most important is like you are comfortable with uh, you are really happy with. The terrain you have picked, the arena you have choose, and the courses you will set, uh, set and then uh, everything will go uh, by itself.
1: Yeah. good, good. So, <laughs> we are uh, near the end of the podcast, and uh, we will finish with a series of uh, short, short questions. Okay. Okay. So yeah. you just give the shortest uh, possible question that you can. Yeah. Okay. Be prepared. Okay. okay. So, first one, favorite. Type of terrain.
0: Um, I think it's uh, Mio in France, like those uh, stony terrain, good runnability.
1: And uh, favorite orienteer athlete of all time?
0: I would say uh, my good friend uh, Peter Torreson.
1: Yukola or uh, Tiomila?
0: No question, Yukola. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Split walk or a uh, classic walk
0: a uh, classic walk uh,
1: sand dune or uh, rocky mountain terrains
0: rocky mountains yeah
1: facebook or twitter
0: Pff, none of this <laughs>
1: <laughs> favorite dish
0: uh i like uh, pokeball
1: and uh what is the did you did any sports? besides ornithering that you have done yeah. it seriously on bull yeah good so it's <laughs> a good way to finish the this fantastic podcast uh, interview Thierry I'm sure people will be pleased to hear your thoughts as always yeah. it's an incredible uh, feeling to to speak with you and uh, we will uh, hopefully see you in Portugal because Leo is beating you you know he's winning Portugal. yeah <laughs> okay thank you yep